0: You do you. Let TrueGreen do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: Face the Nation is off this week,
3: but we'll return next week with the latest in national politics. This week, we bring you The Debrief with Major Garrett, a look behind the scenes of CBS News Election Night 2020, featuring the correspondents and producers who made it happen. And now, here's CBS
4: News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. I don't need to tell you that election night turned into election week. And that is something that if you had been watching CBS News before election night, you would have had a sense of. I mean, I did a lot of stories saying that patients would be required because of the ways that we as a country were voting differently because of the pandemic, and that states would count votes differently based on new laws. Now, maybe you had a sense of that on election day, that it would turn out to be election week, but, well, <laughs> that doesn't make it any easier and didn't make it any easier for us to live through. So what we did for you this week is, in place of Face the Nation, we're bringing you On the radio for the very first time, my podcast, The Debrief, with me, Major Garrett. It's not just my voice, but the voices of my CBS colleagues scattered around the country at the Biden headquarters, at the White House, in key battleground states, lots of different places. We also have really amazing behind the scenes audio of CBS News internal communications of important calls of states that made all the difference in this election. And if you like what you hear, be sure to listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Just search The Debrief with Major Garrett. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get started.
0: Folks, this is Anthony on the Vote Key. Joe Biden win. Pennsylvania, Joe Biden elected president. Joe Biden elected president.
5: And this is a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell at CBS News, and we are coming on the air with breaking news at this hour. CBS News projects that Joe Biden has been elected the 46th president of the United States.
2: They made it clear they want the country to come together, not continue to pull apart. The people spoke. He's saying, I know you didn't vote for me, but I'm extending my hand to you because I will be the president of the United States. He's already talking about unity. We
3: have been told by sources here at the White House that the president is angry and he's disappointed
0: in how this has turned out. Trump supporters believe there was widespread election fraud,
6: though there's no evidence of that.
0: Nobody would be out here protesting if Trump had legitimately lost the election. The problem is is that there's too much fraud going on to know who actually won.
6: The reason we're here now and we know this now is because of the hundreds of thousands of volunteer election workers all over the country who have been away from their families, who have been sleep deprived, working to count all these ballots during this time. And right now these attacks, these baseless, unsubstantiated, factless attacks on the election system in this country, are an attack on their integrity and their credibility.
4: I'm Major Garrett, and this is The Debrief, episode 16, The 46th President.
7: Stand
8: by. We are going to come to Garrett before, before Salvanto.
4: Nine, we want to bring you, for the first time, behind-the-scenes sounds of CBS News election night coverage, You will hear familiar voices and those of directors or producers who are not household names, but are irreplaceable. But first, some context. This was an election like no other. The grip of coronavirus could be felt and seen everywhere. I was summoned to New York a full 12 days before Election Day, the first three of those spent in quarantine. I found Times Square unrecognizable, essentially deserted. Restaurants and shops boarded up. Side streets vacant and sad. All the familiar lights shone, but cast no shadows. Pulsating beacons above, paved nothingness below. We began rehearsals a full week before Election Day, doing so wearing masks the entire time. We were tested for the virus daily, no test, no entry social distancing was mandatory dozens of people did their jobs in proximity to one another for the first time in months the camaraderie energized all of us despite the risks despite the edgy sense of gloom my producer arden fari and i discussed this most extraordinary presidential race the sunday before election day
7: do you think trump can win
4: trump can win most incumbents do the difference is This is a president who is seeking a second term in the midst of a pandemic. It is a top issue. Even Trump supporters are somewhat hesitant to say he has done as well as he has said he has done with the pandemic. The death toll is almost unimaginable, 230,000, case rate above 9 million, and the sense that this winter ahead is going to be difficult for the country does not leave with in anyone's frame of reference a sense that we've got this under control. And yet the president has the sturdiest base of political support I've ever seen for any American political figure. And by sturdy, I mean not just sturdy, but stubborn and enthusiastic. That keeps him in the game. Any other incumbent would be so far behind and ruled almost out of the game. They have completed the great- There is a relentless conversation when you cover Donald Trump. It begins the same way. Could this be? As Arden and I discussed 2020, I remembered a similar conversation in 2016. We recorded it on a flight from North Carolina to New York City as that campaign wound down and the polls tightened. Everyone detects this tightening. Here's the great unknown as to how significant this tightening is. Because things tightened a little bit for John McCain, it was irrelevant. Things tightened a little bit for Mitt Romney in the end, it was irrelevant. Here's why it might be relevant in a Trump context. Their modeling, and it, and I want to stress, it's only their modeling. They're the only ones who draw up the math this way and run the mathematics this way. It's, it's also a narrative they want out there sure. too. though. yes, absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely, but they believe it. And look, if they're right, and they're the only ones who were right, Political scientists and historians are going to spend the next 20 years trying to figure out how they were right and everyone else was wrong. So let's give them their due for a second. Politically, in terms of raw power and emotional reach, the essential question was always this. Just how big and motivated was Trump's base? Will they show up? Well, in both elections, the answer surprised the so-called experts.
3: President-elect Donald Trump kicked
0: off his thank-you tour in Ohio last night, emphasizing his victory over Hillary Clinton and mocking what he called the dishonest press for underestimating his chances.
4: On election day, I took a nap in the afternoon, knowing it would be a long night. We had no idea how many long nights were ahead. Uh, You ready? I'm ready. Let's Let's go. Game time. Let's go. Election day for all of us on the CBS Politics team began to come into focus with a late afternoon briefing on initial exit poll data. Director of Elections and Surveys, Anthony Salvanto. The
0: state Trump is winning election day vote. The question is, are there enough? That's your story.
4: CBS had reported this was possible and that a pro Trump surge on election day could propel him to victory or a close loss. Nora O'Donnell, managing editor of the CBS Evening News, anchored our coverage. Hey,
1: Nora, it's Renee.
8: Can you hear me OK? Have a great show, Nora. <laughs> See, I'm going
1: to do everything you guys do. <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> come Mike, and go eat. Open a mic. Free, available, everything. Cue 2020,
5: America decides. We are watching it all unfold here at CBS News election headquarters.
4: Exit polls was one of my beats on what became election week. Producer Andy Wolf, coordinating the data, gave me a roadmap. How is the coronavirus being handled? It's about even versus well and badly. Uh, and maybe, you know, a way to get into it is this race has kind of always been about coronavirus mm-hmm. one sure. way or another. Yeah. That could be your preamble. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay.
6: okay.
2: Right.
4: Cool. And exit polls tell two of the stories of Election Day. The first story of Election Day is who won. The second story of Election Day is why. Election polls tell us why. And we'll get some early reads on that very, very soon. As always, Arden Fari, my producer, was helping me every step of the way.
7: No, number one, four boards, national. More important issue for Biden voters. Contain coronavirus?
4: 79. For the Trump campaign, Florida was the North Star, the victory they believed was certain and indicative of what would unfold in other close states. A big win there, they were certain, would mean narrow wins elsewhere. As election night unfolded, Florida was coming across for Team Trump. So
7: it's five minutes to nine, and we don't have results from Florida, but it's looking like Trump is going to carry... Florida, and it's 29 electoral votes.
4: CBS deployed reporters all over the country. Nicole Skanga at the White House.
8: The sidewalk here, there are just dozens of cameras, over a hundred cameras out here. I've never seen anything like it. Just have to imagine what it's like inside there in the residence. We know the president is inside. We know that his supporters are in the East Room and that they are having a celebration of sorts right now a victory party perhaps though we don't know the election results that they are eating sliders but we only know that because we are texting with people inside the room
4: blocks away christina ruffini monitored street protests
8: we're following a group of protesters who were walking towards the white house and what we call black lives matter plaza here chanting black lives matter and the ever popular F, edited for this podcast, the police.
4: Washington, D.C., like many American cities, became a sort of plywood maze of boarded-up businesses. Apprehension of the result and reaction was seemingly everywhere.
8: So far, it's been pretty calm here in Washington. We've had one or two arrests. We're hoping, as the night progresses, the calm will stay. Everybody just keeps stopping by our satellite truck to look at the returns and asking us what's going to happen. And i got to tell them, we don't know.
4: Chris Van Cleve traveled to North Carolina. Democrats won its 15 electoral votes in 2008, but lost them in 2012 and 2016. Nevertheless, hopes ran high.
3: The votes are still being counted. It is very close here. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a strange election night because normally you'd be at an election night party where there would be voters, supporters, celebration heartbreak now it's uh open air it's chilly it's a bunch of media and the occasional democrat comes out and speaks in front of the uh, north carolina democratic party headquarters uh so a lot of the energy just isn't here this year of course that's because of the pandemic
4: at 11:40 p.m on election night producer gabby ache was with white house correspondent weijia jang
5: the mood can be described as jovial Officials Weijia Zhang and I have spoken to are confident that the president will have four more years. They think that Florida, which at this point is leaning in the president's favor, is a huge sign that Mr. Trump will pull off a win. But Arizona, which he held on to in 2016, is looking more and more likely to end up in Biden's column. This race is still too early to call for anyone, and it probably won't be for a while.
4: Welcome back to The Debrief, where we are taking you behind the scenes of CBS News Election Night 2020. We pick up here early Wednesday morning, long before the presidential race was called. I was still on the set in New York, and our producers and correspondents were still standing by at their respective posts across the country.
5: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe
4: at midnight, Arden asked about the only fuel I consume on election night. Major, it's Arden.
8: Yeah. are Do you want coffee or anything?
4: Oh, uh, coffee. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, be right there. Shortly before 2 a.m. Wednesday, Nicole Skanga was still reporting at the White House.
8: We are in hurry-up-and-wait mode. We have been told the president is expected to make remarks this after his Democratic rival Joe Biden addressed the public earlier tonight in Wilmington, Delaware.
2: We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, that's going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient.
4: Other CBS reporters stood sentry from home, as required by work-at-home pandemic realities. Hi, this
7: is Stephan Beckett. I'm an editor for CBSNews.com in Washington, D.C. It's about 2.20 in the morning and i am waiting to see the president walk out on stage at the white house uh to hear for him hear from him for the first time since election day Uh, i'm here seated at my desk where i've been working for the past seven or eight months since the pandemic started uh i'm missing the newsroom but got some pizza earlier to try to fill that void Uh, and my dog is keeping me company as he has since the beginning of all this um so it looks like he's coming out now. So we're going to listen to what he has to say. Uh, and I'm hoping to be signing off relatively soon.
4: President Trump spoke from the East Room, irritated and working up a grievance.
0: We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election.
4: White House correspondent Weija Jang.
1: The president just uh, made remarks that included mostly false information. It was pretty remarkable. And I think that um, even though he hinted he would say these things, to hear him say them from the White House, while votes are still being counted in what is a true display of democracy at its finest with an historic turnout was uh, jarring to say the least and memorable and you know usually by this point during election night you might you know you might have a good sense of what's to come but we really don't and um, i think that that was what we expected and now it's just a waiting game
4: At 3 a.m., CBS switched to overnight coverage mode. Nora O'Donnell and Gail King took a well-deserved break.
5: Some CBS stations will be leaving us for local returns. We'll be right back.
2: Vanity's up. Stand by camera three. In three, two, one, add mic. This is all Tony Q.
4: I stuck around. Come on. Was I really going anywhere? So it's 3.10 a.m. Yep. And what do we know? What do we know is that votes that have been legally cast have yet to be counted. And in America, legally cast ballots must be counted. Everyone agrees with that. You know how I know that? Because the Trump campaign has filed a lot of lawsuits saying every vote should be legally cast and counted and counted once. How are you feeling? Energized. Really? It's an important moment. It's history. Uh, it's history of this country. Uh, how, how long do you think this is going to go before we have a winner? I, I, I think when, when we started this podcast in July, one election official said it could be days, it might even be a week. I think it will certainly be days, two or three days. I don't think we'll have a clear, clear, absolute resolution until Friday. Okay, I was off by one day, but I was damn close. Now, back to the unfolding drama.
8: Hello, this is Jerika Duncan coming to you from Philadelphia. It is 3.41 in the morning. We are on the corner of Race and 12th Street in front of the Pennsylvania Convention Center where people, believe it or not, at 341 are still counting ballots. We knew Pennsylvania was gonna be a crucial state to watch and we are watching um, based on some results that are, I think 74, 75% of Pennsylvania is being reported right now. And it looks like President Trump has a solid lead but there are still many more ballots to be counted so we wait and wait and wait
4: Just before 5 a.m. on Wednesday I took a nap a very short nap
7: It's 4.56 a.m. Major is in his dressing room Yeah and
4: he's going to take a nap for about an hour About an hour One hour nap That should do it. Arden ran back to the hotel a block away to brush his teeth and grab new contacts for me. What did
7: you just say? I said,
4: let me take these contacts out. They've been in my eyeballs for 36 straight hours or something like that. CBS This Morning came on at 6 a.m. I was there at 7 a.m. One hour of sleep is no way to go through life every day, but it is the way to go through life if it's a close presidential election. So that's where we are. Welcome back to The Debrief, where we are taking you, yes, indeed, behind the scenes of CBS News Election Night 2020. It took an army of correspondents and producers to cover this year's presidential election. And you will continue to hear from them throughout this show. We pick back up on the Wednesday after Election Day with my producer, Arden Fari. Wednesday seemed to unspool slowly as if time were suspended as votes were tabulated. It's
7: 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Just got a call that Biden is about to speak. Don't know what he's gonna say, but we're heading back to the studio and election 2020 continues. Right now there's five states that will basically determine the outcome of this one. If the vice president can win two of the five, he will be president, but the pres- President Trump needs to carry four of those. So both have paths to the White House, but it seems like Biden's path is a little bit
4: wider than Trump's at this point. Again, White House producer Gabby Ake.
5: Right now, things are still too close to call in multiple states, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, We're still even waiting for Georgia and Arizona. Um, It's anyone's guess right now where things are going.
4: White House correspondent Paula Reed at 2.35 p.m. Wednesday.
5: Moments ago,
8: the Trump campaign held a call for reporters, and they believe that their math in Pennsylvania and Arizona shows them that President Trump will be re-elected by Friday of this week. Every few hours, it just seems like it shifts who we think is going to be elected to the White House.
4: CBS's Nicole Killian stood watch at Biden headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware. It was three oh seven PM Wednesday.
8: As we get closer to the finish line, the stage at the Chase Center in Wilmington is set. The Biden Harris logo flashes on jumbotrons, American flags flap in the breeze, and red, white, and blue jeeps dot the parking lot, ready to honk for their candidate.
4: At four thirty-four p.m. Wednesday, Anthony Salvanto made the call. Michigan. For Biden.
0: Hey, everybody, this is Anthony on the Vote Key. Anthony on the Vote Key. CBS News projects Biden wins Michigan. Biden wins Michigan.
4: As the nation waited that Wednesday afternoon, Arden and I began to reflect on the research we started in July on how to hold an election during a pandemic and other fears we learned about from election officials of both parties. It's actually
7: pretty amazing how smoothly everything's gone. Yes. I mean, remember all the stories we did leading up to this thing? yeah like but i'm glad we did them oh definitely but i so glad we did them i'm so glad we invested that time definitely but but everything that people were worried about and did to, and everything people did to avoid the issues that were the sort of nightmare scenarios i don't think we've had the nightmare scenario no no i think this is all going on actually all things considered
4: very well oh yeah yeah and um so let's let's run down the list of things that didn't happen that were not disturbances at polling places that disrupted everything. No one came to intimidate anyone, no one came to bother anyone. And guess what? We had enough poll workers, we had enough equipment, we had enough social distancing and And PPE. For a part of America that doesn't get a lot of attention, doesn't get a lot of money, doesn't get a lot of, uh, let us say, adoring celebrity-like media coverage, these fundamentals worked. Your friends and neighbors did their job. The system was not only adaptive, it was transparent and resilient. Those are all great American success yeah, And At 10.23 p.m. on Wednesday, inside the White House, producer Gabby Ake and Weeja Jang surveyed the scene.
5: Selection week, let's
1: say. Yeah, and it might even be weeks, um, depending on where these several court cases go. We're in it for the long haul, and uh, are we still having fun, Gabby? I'm having a blast. <laughs> I am too, actually. I'm ha- we're
5: having a grand old time with you. Well, it's exciting now at this point. And I feel like every hour it is changing and we're getting new numbers every hour. Like, I'm almost afraid to go to sleep tonight because I'm afraid we're going to call a state overnight and I'll yeah. sleep through it and I don't want to. The fact is, this might be the last few
1: weeks, the last several weeks of President Trump's Term here, and so you know, I'm also thinking about that a lot and reflecting about sort of how his time here at the White House has has reshaped the country. Would you say you're being patient? Um, I I am patient because it, it's like, what's another few days? At least we'll have a clearer picture, right? And even though things might get caught up in court, we'll still likely know um, in the next few days what the next four years will look like.
5: What about you? I say I'm being patient, I mean, you obviously want to hear, but, and it's it's like what you just said, you want to be clear, you want to know, and you want to be right. And I think right. this is something, every election, you need to be right, you want to be right, but this one especially, because it is so dang close. Yes. And frankly, there's so much voter turnout. It is, like, the responsibility to these millions upon millions of people who turned out to be right.
4: Patience. It was required of all of us. Not exactly a deeply American trait and certainly not one visited upon election nights in the past. We want to know. We crave the certainty. Our cravings continued through Thursday and into Friday. Welcome back to The Debrief, where we are taking you once again behind the scenes of CBS News Election Night 2020. Right now, you're about to hear from the campaign embeds at CBS News, young journalists who covered this presidential election from the very beginning and were stationed all across the country on what became Election Week. Alex Tin covered Arizona and Nevada for CBS.
3: There have also been protests outside the Maricopa County Ballot Office, and they've been erecting fencing, and conspiracy theorists have shown up there, and people have been getting into fights. You know, I know Jamie Yukis and her team there has been on the ground watching it happen unfold right in front of their live shot location.
4: CBS correspondent Jamie Ucas.
8: You had this large group of Trump supporters who were trying to get inside the elections department. They were demanding it. Um, armed. Many of them were armed. It is an open carry state here in Arizona. And there seemed to be frustration with them that the media would mention that they were armed. Uh, They would tell us, you know, we're just trying to, to protect our Second Amendment rights. We're trying to show you that we are responsible gun owners. Uh, we were just pointing it out because, you know, there's so many other places in this country where there aren't open carry laws. And I think for people, it was unusual. I know um, for some of my friends and family to turn on the TV and see people carrying openly AK-47s and AR-15s.
4: CBS reporter Lecrae Mitchell covered Florida and Georgia. She filed this at 9.41 a.m. Friday.
5: But I've been up since about 2 a.m. with the exception of about a 10-minute nap because When I woke up at 2 a.m., it was clear that the margins in Georgia were really starting to shrink. And by 4.47 a.m., Joe Biden had taken the lead in this state, a state that has not elected a Democrat for president since electing Bill Clinton in 1992.
2: Georgia went for Ronald Reagan twice, went for
6: George Bush in 1988, gone, out of here for Bill Clinton. And so
5: it's been quite an experience and, You know, as I described it to one person, it feels like a roller coaster. Like, I feel the adrenaline. I feel the importance of this moment. And I feel the um, how crucial it is to get this right.
4: Biden's newfound lead in Georgia, albeit narrow, was significant. It tracked the data showing Republican Senator David Perdue falling beneath the 50% vote threshold to avoid a runoff in January. Fortunes were turning against the president and Perdue in the Peach State, driven by voters in the Atlanta suburbs turning away from the GOP. Mark Strassman is a CBS correspondent based in Atlanta.
0: I've lived in Atlanta for almost 25 years, watched Georgia change from ruby red to whatever color it is now, not blue, but probably purple, The state's younger, more diverse, more open to Democrats. Some of my white, middle-aged Republican friends here don't recognize their state politically anymore. Is it a backlash against Donald Trump or the Republican Party or both? We'll find out more in January when there's a runoff for both the state's U.S. Senate seats. With control of the Senate itself
4: on the line.
8: CBS News Special Report. So, where do we stand in the presidential contest? Still no declared winner, and the ballot counting continues. There are.
4: Saturday morning dawned, and CBS awaited reports from election officials. In Pennsylvania. It's 1123
7: a.m. on Saturday. We are awaiting a report from Allegheny County. That's the Pittsburgh area.
4: All of us gathered on the New York set. It was silent, electric, full of unspoken anticipation, anxiety, the sense that history was moving beneath you, about to propel you and the nation in a new direction. I felt exactly the same way on election night in 2016. It has nothing to do with partisanship. It has everything to do with the votes and voices of Americans and the clarity when it comes of their judgment, their decision. Finally, at 1125 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, November 7th.
0: Folks, this is Anthony on the vote key. Joe Biden, win Pennsylvania. Joe Biden, elected president. Joe Biden, elected president.
1: And this is the CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We stayed
4: on the air for two hours, then did two more hours of coverage in primetime Saturday night. Reporter Bo Erickson covered the Biden campaign for CBS from the beginning.
1: The call that Joe Biden won the election came like many of the 562 days on the campaign trail with him, working alone in a Hilton hotel. CBS was well-prepared to get our stories online, so I went outside to see the area flooded with thousands of Biden supporters. It looked like Delaware just won the Super Bowl. One of the supporters told me, no, the country just won the Super Bowl. So how does it feel to cover a winning campaign? Tiring and an honor.
4: CBS White House correspondent Ben Tracy. I'm really glad that I volunteered
3: to work on Saturday morning because that meant that I was at the White House when the race was called for Joe Biden, uh, which was cool to be there for this moment of history. But it was also totally surreal because the White House was a complete ghost town. The president had decided to go golfing. As this news was being made, we could hear the crowds gathering across Lafayette Square in Black Lives Matter Plaza And as the minutes wore on, you could hear more and more chanting and cheering and screaming. Um, And it was striking because had the president been at the White House, he would have heard what we were hearing. A lot of people cheering the fact that he lost.
4: The election had slipped away from the president and the country was turning away. When news organizations declared Biden the winner, Trump was at his golf course in Virginia, metaphorically in the deep rough, without a lot of options. Good evening. Before Biden addressed the nation's Saturday night, California Senator Kamala Harris, the first woman ever elected vice president of the United States, spoke to her history and ours.
1: But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last.
2: Well, I'll have the honor of serving with the fantastic vice president who you just heard from Kamala Harris. Who makes history as the first woman, first black woman, the first woman from South Asian descent, the first daughter of an immigrant ever elected in this country. Don't tell me it's not possible in the United States.
4: Trump will challenge his defeat in court. Many cases have already been dismissed. The overwhelming sense among the president's inner circle is this maneuvering will only delay the inevitable. It will also stroke the president's ego and sow division, extending an all-too-familiar cause and effect of the Trump presidency. Trump is the only major party nominee to lose the popular vote twice. But he is also the only incumbent president to lose who saw his popular vote total increase. Roughly 7 million more Americans voted for Trump in 2020 than did in 2016. His reach into American life and politics deepened. Just not enough. Another historical anomaly. This is the first election ever where the incumbent lost, but his party, at least as the numbers currently stand, gained seats in the House and lost no net seats in the Senate. The nation has also never seen five states with such close margins of victory. As of this recording, North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona are still too close to call. The trends are clear, but CBS is awaiting more data to remove any doubt that a called race will withstand scrutiny. Former President George W. Bush on Sunday called the outcome certain. America's top European allies, as well as Israel, recognized President-elect Biden. It is worth saying here that England, France, Germany, and Israel each possess sophisticated intelligence services— that would never recommend action if doubt about the election's outcome existed. What's more, the head of President Trump's own national cybersecurity agency with specific jurisdiction over elections warned against social media disinformation alleging vote fraud. The people have spoken. A concession is not required. History will judge the president accordingly. There is in all of this one simple reassuring certainty. On January 20th, next year, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., aged 78, will be inaugurated the 46th President of the United States. If you are just joining us, Face the Nation is off this week, and I'm Major Garrett, and you are listening to a special edition of my show, The Debrief. After the break, we will continue our coverage of Election 2020 with the CBS News election law expert and contributor, David Becker.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
4: Welcome back to The Debrief, where we are giving you exclusive behind-the-scenes access to CBS News Election Night 2020 coverage. Now, we turn to a voice you may recognize from the top of the show, CBS News election law expert and contributor, David Becker. So, let's break this down. Have you seen... A single assertion
6: in court
4: that has what you would regard as a modicum of legal validity
6: uh, the answer is no i haven 't seen anything in any of the multiple lawsuits that have been brought that would come close to stating a claim that uh, that the any any ballots were cast invalidly at this point in time, and in fact, the courts agree the trump campaign is uh is batting a perfect 0 for 12 so far. Um, I expect that rate is going to continue as more courts weigh in very shortly. But not only are there no supportable claims that there were improprieties that were significant at all in this election, it's really clear that this election was perhaps one of the best run in American history. In spite of the huge turnout, in spite of the threat of foreign interference, and in spite of the pandemic, and in spite of the lack of resources, What we saw is an historic amount of American voters turn out using a variety of methods of voting in the most transparently um, supervised process we've ever seen.
4: And if you saw a legitimate Trump proffered claim, would you say so?
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there are claims at times of improprieties that might be um, insufficient to overturn the outcome, for instance, that we would have to address. I mean, we're constantly trying to improve our election system. And if there are claims that need to be addressed, we should address them. But um, I haven't seen even the most modest supportable claim yet in this uh, in this set of litigation.
4: How about this? Well, there's lots more mail in ballots. There must be fraud there.
6: Well, you know, it's interesting. The prior to 2020, the election that had the most mail in voting was 2016 about one in four ballots nationwide was cast by mail. And I don't recall, even though that was the high watermark for mail voting, I don't recall the Trump campaign complaining about that then. Um, And of course, in 2016, we weren't also dealing with the pandemic that required a lot of voters to think twice before going out in public and standing around other citizens. So this is something we've been doing for a long time. Every state has some form of mail voting. We've been doing mail voting since the Civil War. In
4: 2000, you had... Butterfly ballots, which left ambiguity in terms of voter intent. And you had laws or procedures that were by no stretch of the imagination modern or specific to resolve any d- dispute or question of voter intent. And so there was a pursuit of trying to figure out what voter intent was on these various ballots. We are not trying to define or delineate voter intent. In every case that I'm aware of, we know what the voter intent was, and we've counted it.
6: I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, there's so many differences between 2000 and 2020. We had one state that decided the presidency. Here, the Trump campaign needs at least three. We had that state decided by only 537 votes with election administration problems. Here we have all of the states where uh, President-elect Biden has won, were decided by at least five, five figures of votes. And in some cases, like Michigan, six figures. And we don't see the election administration problems. In fact, in many ways, this is gonna be a master class for election administrators for years going forward. How, how did election officials, with the challenges they faced in the primaries, with inadequate resources, with foreign adversaries spreading disinformation, and then last and most importantly, with a pandemic that caused a lot of fear nationally, How did they pull this off? How did we somehow get to the point where about 160 million Americans were able to cast a a valid legal ballot in this election, breaking all records we've ever had? It's a tremendous testament to their fortitude and resilience. And um, it's totally different than Florida.
4: And David, when Trump supporters say, but he had a lead on election night. Uh,
6: You know, the the analogy I always use is um, if. If that mattered, we would have given the Atlanta Falcons the Lombardi Trophy and Super Bowl 51 at halftime. I mean, a a lead at election night, we had not counted all the ballots. We had not counted all the points. There was still plenty of time. What we're seeing now, and fortunately, we did a really good job, Republican and Democratic election officials, of educating the electorate about this, that it was going to take some time to count all of these votes. 160 million ballots don't get counted in one minute. It takes some time. And we all know that some states can count faster than others given the rules, but we were counting every valid ballot that had come in by the deadline. For instance, in Pennsylvania, even though there's some uh, legal dispute over a small number of remaining ballots that might have arrived after election day, all of the ballots that have been reported so far were received on election day or before. So it just takes some time to count all the ballots. I know they'd like to stop the counting. There were places where Quite honestly, uh, Vice President Biden was ahead on election night, and Donald Trump overtook him as more elections, more ballots were um, were counted. I think uh, I think North Carolina might have fit that description, and other places. You can't have it both ways. You have to just let the process work out. Both campaigns knew the rules going into this election. They knew what the rules were in every single state. They knew what ballots were going to be valid in every single state. They knew when they were going to be counted in every single state. We had told everyone that Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin were probably going to take a little bit longer than states like Ohio and Florida because of the rules, and that certainly turned out to be true. But they can't claim they didn't know the rules of the game, and they certainly shouldn't be claiming to change the rules now that they know they lost.
4: And in Georgia, they're going above and beyond what the state law requires.
6: That's exactly right. They had to do do an audit this year of some sort. It could have been a fairly easy audit. What they instead decided to do was a, um, a risk limiting audit of the presidential race. And given a risk limiting audit is the kind of audit that confirms the result to a certain what they call risk limit to a certain probability. And given the margin of victory, it might require fewer ballots to review or more ballots to review. As the margin gets closer, you need to look at more and more ballots. Now you get to a point where you have to look at so many ballots, as in the case of the Georgia presidential race, where you might as well just look at all of them. And so that's what they're doing right now. They're looking at every single ballot, doing a hand recount, looking at the human readable text of every single ballot and confirming what the count is. The count will change a little bit, to be honest. It, it, there's always a little bit of variation of a few ballots here or there, but it's almost impossible to imagine the outcome would change. We've never had a recount overturn a statewide margin of even more than 1,400 votes, let alone 14,000.
2: And
4: it's worth reminding our listeners that the administrator of the election in Georgia is a Republican named Brad Raffensperger.
6: That's right. The governor is a former secretary of state. The secretary of state is a Republican. They're both Republicans. The legislature is Republican, the legislature that set up the rules for all of this. Um, so and, and, and the counties all have bipartisan boards. There are there are bipartisan, there are are members of both parties involved in the election administration throughout the state. So this is being overseen in a way that's incredibly bipartisan, incredibly transparent.
4: If you were just joining us, Face the Nation is off this week. I'm Major Garrett, and you are listening to a special edition of my show, The Debrief. After the break, we will chat with CBS News Radio White House correspondent Stephen Portnoy about what it's like covering a presidential election On the radio, then and now.
0: CBS News
3: Special Report. Here's correspondent Stephen Portnoy. With new vote totals in from Pennsylvania, CBS News projects Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. wins that state and has been elected the 46th president of the United States.
4: That is the voice of CBS News Radio White House correspondent Stephen Portnoy, who I'm happy to say joins me now on this special edition of my show, The Debrief. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Major. It's great to be with you. So in that moment when you are giving voice to history, what's going through your mind?
3: Well, honestly, I, I, I sort of see myself as the keeper of uh, an eternal flame, um, You know, and I said it on the air on, on election night. You know, th- this was actually our 24th presentation of presidential election returns on the CBS radio network, something that we started back in 1928 when a man named Ted Husing, who would go on to become a very famous sportscaster, he was on the air from 8 o'clock until 6 o'clock the next morning from the city room of the New York World Newspaper, which provided the returns to CBS. This is of course before the founding of CBS News, before we ever had a decision desk. Houston's coverage aired on 26 radio stations and CBS received 12,000 congratulatory
4: telegrams in response. These days we we get we get tweets. We get tweets. And it's worth pausing for just a second, Stephen, to say at that era Radio was absolutely revolutionary. It was a mass communication tool unlike any the country had ever experienced before. It was the high-tech
3: innovation of its day. And uh, at that point, by 1928, uh, radio had been around for about eight years. In fact, you know, this year we celebrate the 100th anniversary of radio broadcasting. And it so happens that the very first radio broadcast, uh, commercially licensed by the federal government, was a broadcast of election returns. It was November 2nd, 1920, on KDKA in Pittsburgh. That was where uh, listeners heard the election of of James M. Cox versus Warren G. Harding. And there's a 1944 recreation of that moment that aims to capture what it sounded like.
7: Oh, just a minute. A bulletin has just come in. I'll, I'll read it to you. The Democratic candidate, James M. Cox, and his chief manager, Chairman White, of the Democratic National Committee have conceded the election of Senator Harding. Yes, sir, the election is conceded by Cox to Harding. And it looks like Warren G. Harding and Calvin Coolidge are the men who will carry the affairs of our nation for the next four years.
4: The operative verb there, conceded, Stephen. Stephen a concession
3: you know i, I something you noted uh, in the days after this year's election is that uh, a concession is not required <laughs> i thought those were wise words but the point is uh, history marches on there's a lot of history in our cbs news coverage of elections as you've noted uh, in your in this program uh, in, in 1936 Robert Trout was the anchor of the CBS News coverage, and, and he did it from Studio One at the headquarters of the network, which was then on Madison Avenue on the east side of Manhattan. It was the same studio where two years later Orson Welles produced The War of the Worlds. And I was looking at an old black and white photo which shows of women huddled over adding machines and men crouched over typewriters and aides adding the numbers that came in that night on what looks like a big white dry erase board with columns for R and L, not right and left. Roosevelt
4: and Alf Landon and what I find beautifully symmetrical about all this Stephen, is that that revolutionary technology of yore is through this show being reimagined and vivified for an entirely new audience and an entirely new generation that neither they expected nor those who are doing it myself included expected even 10 years ago
3: Well, the great thing about audio storytelling is it allows us with much more time than we have in commercial broadcasting on radio or television to kind of sort of deep, to do these deep dives into stories that uh, we never even knew we had. I mean, look at this. Here's another example of the history, just in our own
4: backyard. The nation certainly wants to know what's going to happen tonight, even before it happens. And for days past, Americans have been eagerly scanning the polls, which attempted to tell, perhaps in some way, what was
3: going
2: to happen, or at least to indicate some of the trends. In
3: 1940, the Roosevelt Wilkie election, coverage on CBS moved from Madison Avenue to a, a studio just around the corner. Uh, which CBS built for uh, additional radio studios. And uh, it, it's now uh, an office building on the east side of Manhattan with a Dwayne Reed <laughs> on the ground floor. There's but, always a uh, Dwayne it, Reed in New York. Right. But 30 years after uh, Robert Trout called the election for Roosevelt in 1940, that same studio would be used by the co owned Columbia Records Division. And that's where the final tracks of Bridge Over Troubled Waters were recorded by Simon and Garfunkel in 1969. And what
4: To your mind, Stephen, does that flame illuminate?
3: Well, you know, most of the 20th century and now into the 21st. And as you illustrate, Major, it's the ability for us to tell stories uh, for the ear that engage people, keep them listening, keep them informed, keep them interested, and help them understand the world in which they live. And reach them where they are in a portable format as ever, uh, in a way that people can go about their lives and do other things as they're learning. Uh, You don't have to be a captive audience, and now increasingly you can do it on demand. Stephen, it's always
4: great to talk to you. It's always great to enjoy and be educated by your understanding, your history, and your appreciation of this medium. So thanks. Thanks, Major. It's my honor. With my thanks to Stephen Portnoy, that's all for this special edition of The Debrief. Like what you heard? The Debrief with Major Garrett is available every Tuesday morning as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Remember, the show is about what we're living through now. We reach back into history and we try to explain what might happen in the future. That's what the Debrief is all about. And one day, maybe you'll get to hear the Debrief on the radio every week. Face the Nation with my colleague Margaret Brennan will be back next week right here on this station in this time slot. I'm CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Signing off. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan,
0: you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself
2: has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts,